This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. I have to confess that I was like waiting for the sound of the video from the last series to play in the back of my head. I was just waiting, and whenever the lights came up, I was like, oh yeah. So, there's that. Good morning. Good to see you. I'm a little off now. See, I just, boy, is it easy to throw me off. Anyhow, good to see you this morning. Hope all is well with you. Hey, before we get in the message, uh, actually, I, I just... Um, Right as we were ending our time of, of singing uh, together, uh, had uh, just shared with me, uh, somebody just leaned over and said, hey, you know, uh, um, uh, I just had this sense that the Lord is, uh, you know, doing something in some people's lives where they have felt that, um, you know, the, the Lord has been slow to answer, maybe even wondering if it was really the Lord. They've begun to doubt uh, something that they've been praying about for a long time, but felt like as we were singing that song about God fulfilling His Word, and uh, just wanted to speak a blessing, just, you know, simply just to assure you that God is not late, uh, that He is faithful to deliver and uh, on His Word to you. And so, uh, if that's you this morning and you're just kind of struggling with that, um, let me encourage you later as we are doing some ministry time, uh, maybe just come up and get some prayer for that. You know, it doesn't have to be related to the message that I preached this morning or share with you. You could just come up and get some prayer for really anything, uh, you know. Uh, and, uh, of course, you can pray with the person next to you. You can go home and pray about it. But I just always encourage, I just think there's something about taking that step when you, when, when we have, uh, you know, at the end of the service, we have people up here, sometimes it's that concrete step of just stepping out of my comfort zone, walking up and talking to somebody, because what usually happens is I go get in my car, and I turn on my radio, and I go, oh, that song, and then... You know, you're like at McDonald's or your home or wherever. And about a week from now, you go, oh, yeah, I was going to pray about that and do something about that, and I never did. And so I, I just would encourage you, one of the best action steps you can just take is just, you know, go up and get some prayer. And, and then as you talk about that, I, I promise you it'll settle in deeper and you'll be more likely to do something about it. All right, well... This morning, my message is a little different. Um, if you've been here any amount of time, you know normally I read a passage of Scripture, and then I just kind of take it apart verse by verse. And, uh, but this morning, we're going to do something a little different. We do this once a year, where we really talk about you know, the vision of the church. We kind of talk about our state of affairs. Um, and, um, uh, but even still, like most of the time when we do that, I spend most of the time kind of reviewing uh, the year I'm going to really spend more of our time talking about some things going forward. I'll talk a little bit about what we've done in the last year, what, God, what God's been doing with us over the last couple of years. But I, I really want to focus this morning kind of our attention about, you know, really fulfilling uh, two things, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, because they are the backbone of what every church is supposed to do. Uh, uh, you know, every church... Um, has some kind of slogan that they call their purpose statement or their mission statement or their vision statement. Um, 
And, uh, and a lot of those things get kind of confused and intertwined. They're all not the same thing. Um, and so uh, it, it's good sometimes to just simply talk about those and explain that literally every church on the face of the earth, if you're following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that uh, the mission of that church boils down to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20. Uh, then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, you go, and make disciples of all nations, or literally all ethnicities is literally the, what it means, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then the great commandment is this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, speaking of Jesus, that he answered them well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no greater commandment than these, Matthew 12, 28 to 31. So those two verses really form the backbone of every church mission. And so, um, you know, as a church, we have kind of boiled it down. You know, we, you, you saw it on the wall coming in. If you've ever gone out to the tent after you, uh, you know, came to visit, and then they, they gave you a T-shirt, and that T-shirt just simply says, love God, you know, the great commandment, love God, love people, the second commandment. And then how do we do that? How do we love God? How do we love people? Well, we do as well. And so we say, Pass it on. Pass it on to everyone around you. Pass on the love of God. Pass on the love of people uh, simply by the way that we act, by the way we engage people, by the things that we speak to them. And so we just have that little saying, love God, love people, pass it on, as just a summary of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Now, other churches have, you know, ones that are more verbose. You know, some people are a little more wordy. You know, which if you've been around me very long, you're probably surprised that ours is short. And, um, you know, I had a lot of time to think about it, so that's part of it. And, um, and you know, some are more brief. Uh, some people just say, love God, love people, or, you know. But, but listen, the essence of every church's mission, regardless of the flavor, stripe, denomination, or its vision, how it does that, that at the root... The mission of that church really boils down to those two things. And so everything flows from that. Everything a church does is supposed to support that mission. And then the vision of each church is how they go about fulfilling that mission. So every church does it uniquely because there's unique people. You just look around the room and uh, maybe you recognize some people sitting around you. Maybe some of the people around you, you honestly don't know that well. And, and here's the reality is that when every time you go to a different church, uh, there's, a, there's a different group of people gathered. 
and they bring with them their unique giftings and callings that are on their life. That's why every church I have planted has been unique. I, I, I've planted several churches over the years, and uh, uh, actually I had a friend of mine that was working with me in Mexico, went to visit the church I had planted in Michigan, and they said, you know, you've been gone for a few years now, and yet I could see some things that were consistent with other things that you're doing here in Mexico and things like that. And then I also saw how it was unique because there was a different group of people there and, uh, and, and, and how that put together. And so every church is unique in that way. Uh, you're never going to go to another church that was just like your last church. And if you left that church because you didn't want to be there anymore, that's a real good thing. But, but sometimes, uh, funny enough, uh, when people go from one church to another, the first thing they do is they go, well, that's not the way my old church did it. <laughs> You're right. It will never be. It shouldn't be. Unless it's exactly the same group of people all picked up and moved with you. In that case, we just changed locations and even then, I would challenge you, probably ought to be different, because I can tell you that things are distinctly different in Brooksville, Florida, than they were in Muskegon, Michigan, or they were in what is Mexico, or in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, Canada. Every place I've gone has been unique. Every place I've been, I recognize that the character and the people that make up that community is what makes its charm and its difficulty. Hello? Right? If you live here and you're honest with yourself, you can tell me all kinds of things about the charm of Brooksville and Spring Hill. You can also tell me about what makes it difficult. Every church is unique because of the unique giftings, the people that make up that church. And here's the other reality, is that as a the longer a church is around, it changes over time. This is not the same group of people I started with. There are very few people that are still here that were here when we started. New people mean new gifts, new leaders, new talents, new abilities. And so a church's vision changes even as the mission stays the same. So about four years ago, August of 2019 to be specific, I had a really, really powerful come-to-Jesus moment uh, where I really began to evaluate what we had been doing as a church and why we did it and, and everything else. And um, <clears throat> it was actually came in the form of uh, a compliment from one of my mentors in which, uh, you know, he just said some things to me about how I was doing exactly uh, what they had done, and I knew that whenever... I left there to plant here that I was thinking to myself that I wanted to do some things distinct that, to address the uniqueness of our community. I also knew that there were some things I learned that I didn't want to do anymore because I had watched that actually uh, as I was writing my dissertation. I had done some studies, followed up on some things and went, that's not effective. It's not working. We keep doing that, those things as churches, and yet the reality is, is that it's really not the Jesus way. It's just something that we've kind of come up with ourselves, and, and it sounds good, and it's kind of slick and looks kind of cool, but, but really that's not Jesus' way of doing things, and, and we really need to get back to doing it Jesus' way. And so 
in that moment as he said those things, what was a compliment that I had in many ways longed to hear from my mentor. He'd been my mentor many years, like a father to me in many ways. I just had this kind of like, shazam. <laughs> that was not what I came to do. And so I just had to like stop and just spend some time with Jesus and ask like, God, am, am I doing what I need to be doing? Or am I doing something just kind of out of muscle memory and, and not really listening to your voice? And so uh, during that time, um, you know, I, 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 I just went into a time of prayer and study. Now, on the one hand, here's what I knew. We were doing everything in our power to reach our community and find the lost with the gospel of Jesus. Here's the caveat. We were doing everything in our power. Hello? In fact, I, I became painfully aware that we, what we were doing was, in many ways, driven more by concepts of church growth movements and seeker-sensitive stuff than the Bible. And so, please let me emphasize this. We were not doing anything sinful or immoral. Terribly pragmatic, yes. I don't know if you've met me on a personal level. I am Mr. Pragmatic. Um, sometimes too pragmatic. I'll just be honest. I'm, I'm very pragmatic and very direct. And um, if you have not experienced those things, you just haven't spent enough time with me, I promise you. Uh, sometimes to my detriment, I'm both. So, and, and the problem is when you're very pragmatic is that everything is about expediency. And so, um, here's the thing, is that making disciples of Jesus is not necessarily expedient. When we start talking about life change, how people become more like Jesus, as we talk about um, uh, uh, changing our worldview, uh, understanding the way the world works and things like that, um, I, you know, I can explain a lot of things in very short order, but the reality is, is then those things have to become a part of you, a part of me, and then change has to occur over time where not only do I believe those things mentally, but I accept those things in here in my heart. And is anybody here, do you believe things that you don't necessarily do that you think you ought to do? Anybody? Anybody? Just, am I the only? Okay, there's a few hands, like 10 of you being on. No, I, I mean... Um, so the reality is, is that sometimes there's a gap between what I know and what I do. Let me give you a, a real simple example. You know, in Philippians, I was talking with a class the other day, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Anybody, does everybody understand that? Is that difficult to comprehend? Okay, without a show of hands, how many of you do that? All things without grumbling, right? So, so there's this gap between what we know and what we ought to be and then who we are and we're trying to walk those things out and trying to close that gap because we want to be the kind of people 
that reflect the character, the nature of Jesus. We want to be Jesus people. I think that's why you're here. I don't think any of you got up this morning and go, you know, what I really want to do, I want to kind of get up a little early. I just want to go sit, maybe have some average coffee with some people I barely know, and, um, and just kind of spend my morning while everybody else is going out to breakfast or going fishing. I just thought I would come and, you know, sing a couple of songs I kind of know or don't know or whatever else. And I don't think you were doing that this morning. I really don't. I think that you came this morning because you have this sense, a, a deep sense of the longing for the presence of God, and you're wanting to be God-shaped people. You're wanting to be a cruciform kind of people. You want your life reshaped by the cross. You want to say the kind of things that Jesus would do and say. And so you're, there's this longing within you, and you, you hate that gap, and you want it to close. And so then there's this whole thing that we spend the rest of our lives doing this kind of dance with the Holy Spirit of learning to listen, learning to put ourselves away. I, I figured this out somewhere along the way. Prayer is less about me, is, is not really about me changing God's mind. It's really about God changing my mind. Have you, have you figured that part out yet? Yeah, if, if you haven't, it's coming. So, um, and so there's this, this process, right, that we're all going through, and it's really important. And so that's not expedient. I would love to say that if I just like offer you know, three classes, and then you take those classes, and then you get to the end, and you get a certificate, and you get three certificates, and then like, you know, we stamp your forehead, discipled, and you know that the rest of your life, you look like, talk like, sound like Jesus. Wouldn't that be neat if it actually, you know, actually worked that way? And yet, here's the reality is that I take... 10 steps forward and two steps back, and I take five steps forward and seven steps back, and, and I've spent the rest of my life like trying to be like, sound like, talk like Jesus, and, and, and to know his word, you know, um, I, we, we had this conversation the other day, and I just said, you know, I, I've, I've had it said to me so many times, I would give my whole life to know the Bible like you do. And my response is, I have. I'm still learning. It, it, it takes time. There's no expediency. I, I mean, going to Bible college was helpful. Going to seminary was helpful. Getting my doctorate and stuff. Okay, all those things were helpful. But can I just tell you that sometimes I still open my Bible and I find a note that I've written in there and I read that and I go, wow. That's good stuff. When did I learn that? Because I don't remember ever seeing that verse before in my whole life. And I regularly like read through my entire Bible in 90 days a couple of times a year. Cover to cover. So like it takes time, right? It takes energy. It takes effort. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm like trying to infuse myself with the word of God and, and to know him and I'm not saying that you need to do that. Please don't, that, please don't make that like, I mean, if, if God speaks to you and that's on your want list, great, but that's really not my point. I'm simply saying that pragmatically, you and I are trying to become, and I realized that in my pragmatism, 
I don't think I was doing what was best for the body at that time. The modern method in the United States of America and most of the Western church is we try to gather a big crowd and turn the crowd into a congregation and the congregation into disciples. And with few exceptions, most people come through a big event and then they get all their education by programs. But when I look in the New Testament, you build relationships, individuals become disciples through those relationships who in turn then disciple other people around them. And occasionally, someone comes through some other means like a public event. But even ideally then, it's because someone in that same crowd took them by the hand, befriended them, and discipled them to Jesus. Now having said that, please let me be clear. I am not against what any other church is trying to do to reach their community. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even taking a shot at modern approaches, except to say I think that the current condition of the modern Western church, especially the American church, where we see such a huge gap between who we want to be and how we're viewed as a whole in society, how I even hear us talk among each other and say that we're worried about the condition of the American church, is not in spite of what we've been doing but a direct result of the techniques and methods that we've employed. In other words, our current lack of health is a direct result of not doing things Jesus' way, but doing things pragmatically. Here's the hard thing. I remember making that statement publicly back in 2001. So when I had to sit down in 2019 and hold myself accountable 18 years later, can I be honest, that hurt. That hurt a lot. So in 2019, I started rereading everything I could on discipleship. Started with a little book by Robert Coleman called The Master Plan of Evangelism one of the largest selling books in the world. It's his most well-known unread work. Because everybody buys it, but I haven't actually met that many people who have actually read it. So it's, uh, and, uh, and, and, so, and, and my doctoral dissertation, as I mentioned earlier, was on the same subject. So I had all those books in my library. Anybody identify with what I'm saying right now? Not, not that you like got a doctoral dissertation and discipleship or anything like that, but are you following what I'm saying? Anybody here like you see a, that gap and you've been talking about closing the gap for a long time and then you're not where you wanted to be? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. So those books took me back to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Book of Acts. So I said to the staff in 2020, I believe this is where we need to go. But here's the thing is that 
in general, churches right now are not doing relational discipleship anymore. It's not carte blanche. I can't say that about everybody. I'm just saying that as a whole. It's not nearly as cool and entertaining as a slick presentation. It's not nearly as cool as, you know, having like the best music, the best video presentations, all that kind of stuff. And it occurred to me that if I started pursuing that, we as a church, the body, might not be willing to endure the shift. Because that's not what people originally signed up for. They signed up for the cool things we do. One of the things we are known for in our community, which is kind of funny, because we haven't done it in years, but some of the things that we're known for, we're known for giant barbecues. We, we had a barbecue where we'd have thousands of people show up, and we gave barbecue away, and so I still downtown, people say, oh, you're doing the barbecue this year? And I'm kind of like thinking to myself, I haven't, haven't done that in like five years, but okay, um, you know, uh, and um, uh, uh, we're known for uh, all kinds of, you know, uh, things, our parade floats, we've won like a lot of first place awards for great parade floats. I'm not against parade floats. Please don't hear that. I'm not against giant barbecues. Uh, I'm not against concerts. We did some cool concerts and things like that. Uh, and, uh, but, but here's the thing is that I recognize that when we started to shift all of our energy from entertaining people to discipling people, well, that might not be sexy enough. I know, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, did he just say sexy, like about church? And, and like, listen, look, let's be honest. When you watch the commercials, mm-hmm, right? Every, everything's got to be sexy. You've got to put the right spin on it, you know? And so people will want to do what they don't want to do. Because I think they're going to look like that after they do that. Hello? So, we've been working on re-educating ourselves, being more Jesus-focused, trying to be less concerned about cool and sexy. And... But the problem is, is this. Babylon is very sexy and very seductive. And the truth is, the church has its own version of Babylon. We have our own t-shirts, our own movies, our own music industry. We have our own version of Babylon. We have our own superstars. We have our own rock stars. Many of them wear the title pastor. We are convinced somehow that if the movie industry would just make movies and one of those superstars or rock stars or movie stars or whoever else would just say that they believe in Jesus, that somehow would make Jesus cool enough and then all these people would suddenly come to Jesus. We are horribly pragmatic. We think that if we do a big enough thing, if we're shiny enough, if we're sexy enough, if we're Babylon enough, that they would give us a chance. And then we would be able to prove just how cool Jesus is because our pastor would put together a slick presentation and then bingo, they would become followers of Jesus.
But can I point out to you that as you and I take a stroll through the New Testament, we've got this whole thing of where people heard Jesus publicly, but they're constantly coming to him. And we just went through the book of John, and there's all these interpersonal relationships and people becoming, and even, like even Judas, right? He like did signs and wonders. He prayed for the sick and they recovered. He broke bread and it multiplied in his hands as he gave it out to people and everything, and he still betrayed Jesus. And so let me tell you, if, if there's not like that one-on-one discipleship, if there's not the real working through and becoming who that we feel called to be in Christ, the big events just really don't work. In fact, here's the thing. As our events have gotten bigger, as our churches have gotten bigger in the United States of America, and no, I'm not bashing a big church, hear what I'm saying. It has not made us more successful in reaching the lost. There's not a single county in the United States of America in 40 years that has experienced church growth. We have lost ground every year for the last 40 years. So our churches have gotten bigger. We've emptied out a lot of our smaller churches because they can't keep up with Babylon. They are not slick enough. They are not cool enough. They are not sexy enough. Their pastor doesn't wear the right tennis shoes. And especially when we added those things, those camera things, And not that I'm against us having it available for people to come back and look when they miss and things like that. But let me tell you, if you cater to that, you become an audience and I become a rock star. And we embrace Babylon just a little deeper. And we forget that the mission that you and I were put on, we were co-missioned that as we go, you and I would make disciples of people who are not like us from every ethnicity under heaven, that we would pour our lives into their lives and that we would love God and we would love people in such a way that they would know and embrace the gospel. They would taste of eternal life through us, not through a rock star. See, here's the thing, only Jesus can save. Now, we believe in grace. And so, even as we say only Jesus can save, it's easy to forget that maturity is not a given. You and I growing up, like that is one of my constant prayers, God, please let me grow up before I grow old. And the older I get, the more I worried I become. Please let me grow up into your image. Let me become more like you. And so one of the things that over the last few years that I've really been doing is spending much more of my time meeting with people one-on-one as much as I'm able. I can't, I can't obviously you know, meet with everybody. But So last year we, we started something new. We called it Start Here, 12-week introduction to Christianity, talking about the basic questions that people have about Christianity, it's why we do what we do, we, you know, what we believe, all those kind of things. And it was built on the curriculum of what's sometimes called the Alpha Course. If you've ever been in an Alpha Course, you know a little bit more about what I'm talking about. If you've never heard of the Alpha Course, you, it's not going to do you any good at this moment, but I'll just simply say um, 
that it is a, an approach of just sitting down and sharing with people the gospel. And so we called it Start Here because we kind of reworked the curriculum, took out all the dry British humor, um, and also some of the assumptions about program-driven church and refocused everything back on being a disciple and making disciples. And so last year we offered it four times. Feedback from most people was that it was not only really good material, but here's the thing is that mature Christians said they learned a lot that they never understood about their own faith. That's good. That's good. Others, non-Christians who took the course, uh, you know, said that they found it refreshing. Some of them even came to Jesus. I wish that more people had attended. I know my first ask was, I said, well, would you do the 12 weeks with us at training and then do 12 more weeks with us with your friends? And I realized that asking 24 weeks out of a person's year was probably more than anybody had time for but a few people obliged me, and I'm really glad they did. If I have my way, I'd love for everybody in this church at some point to go through that course and know firsthand what it's about so they could talk to their friends about it. Um, but I'm grateful for those who came. That's not, a, that's not a scolding on anyone. I'm just simply saying that, that's, that's what I'm longing for, I'm hoping for, right? And, uh, and I'm hoping we continue to build on it. One-on-one, -on -one, that's what helps to foster discipling relationships. Now, the weakness of Start Here is this. We could trick ourselves into relying on just another program, right? I could just, we could keep offering it all the time, and it could be just a thing that the church does, and other, but everybody else is still, like, looking and saying, waiting for the pastor to, like, share the lesson, and so, and then we just kind of rely on that, and, and so that's actually one of the reasons why I'd love nothing better than somebody else to start leading each different lesson, and so that uh, we, get, we get more people doing it, and so it's not dependent on me and not just another program, and that people actually get equipped to share these things and be able to talk about them on their own. That's one of my hopes for Start Here. Everybody would attend, everybody would learn how to reach their lost neighbors. Not going to battle with them. See, all too often, what we do as a guise for sharing our faith is we go to battle with people we disagree with and we try to win. And I promise you, that's a losing thing. If you feel like I've been trying to evangelize my neighbors, my family, whatever, for years, every time you win, you lost, that's because the goal was wrong. You were supposed to love them to Jesus, not beat them up to Jesus. I've never seen anyone get in a baptismal and get baptized with their hide nailed to a wall. So, so I, I hope that you could come and, and experience just kind of what like authentic soul winning is with the love of Jesus, building bridges, learning how to disagree with kindness, making room for lost people in your life, eating good food with good people, and so I'm, I'm hoping when we start the next session, uh, just after Easter, you would pray about coming, being a part of it, coming just with a humble heart, not to be the instructor, 
coming with a humble heart to just learn. How do I, how do I reach my friends for Jesus? Another thing we did last year, put a heavy emphasis on learning to love one another. So Jesus said, John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That is the measure of the gospel, right? It's not how much Bible you've memorized, how much money you gave, how many times you attended church in a week or something like that. The measure that Jesus gave the world to decide whether or not you were the real deal is actually not even how you love them. I know that just goes all against church culture where for the last... 50 years we've been saying that through seeker-sensitive stuff, I just love my neighbors and I don't like church people. You literally just contradicted Jesus. Which one of you is right? As I'm saying that, don't be surprised if I'm limping as I make my way across the room because, yeah, I did too. We thought it was so avant-garde. If we, just, if we just love lost people, we can just love them the way they are. You know, in church people, Jesus saved some of his harshest rhetoric for them. It's true. It's really true. Because he's like saying to them, snap out of it. What are you doing? You know the word. You know better. Usually we do it the other way around. We coddle one another in a cult of nice where we can't ever say anything challenging to one another. You wouldn't believe what that guy said to me at church. He asked me to act like Jesus. Yeah. We are supposed to ask that of one another. We are. And then we're supposed to love one another when we don't. And when they don't see it exactly the way I see it. When our opinions don't line up that we still walk hand in hand and love one another. That's how the world will know that we're his disciples. Now, that word in English, one another, it's a Greek word, alalelos, and it's all throughout the New Testament, it, over 90 times in the New Testament. And that word becomes just this measure of what authentic faith looks like, loving one another, caring for one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a day that's coming, the day of judgment, the final day, it's coming. And so all the more as you see that day approaching, that that's how we're supposed to embrace one another, love one another, care for one another, build one another up. Because the world doesn't care about our tithing record or the number of Bible passages that we've memorized. They want to know, why should I come to Vine Life? Is it safe? And if the only thing safe we have to offer is because we have slick presentations, good music, good coffee, while that's easy, and terribly pragmatic, the reality is, is we will not be that safe place where they can find truth and hope and life and mercy. 
So if we don't love one another, why would they believe that we would love them? Unless it's a trap. Right? Lure you in. Oh, we're going to love you. Everything. Oh, no. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. You get in. Oh, nope, nope. Now, now it's not grace. Now you're in, buddy. <laughs> not that any of you have ever experienced it, but I'm just saying, you know, other places have done things like that, and you've heard about it somewhere online. Anyhow, um, look, listen, we're, we're being given to be judged as authentic or phony on how we love one another. And so we started really working on that. We did a 40-day study on that. Uh, some of you went through that. Actually, I had somebody leave the church because we had done it before, and I was just like, okay, well, maybe you didn't learn anything. But um, uh, but the vast majority of people did get on board with that and we, we began to do this study and talk about it and then concurrently we did like a life group launch uh, on Super Bowl Sunday which we've got that coming up February 11th is some Super Bowl Sunday if you didn't know that and uh, some of you really don't care but um, we do life group launch on that and so we watch the Super Bowl together and, and invite people to start coming to a group and, and all that and so we did it Francis Chan's book on unity and so our life groups were talking about it, our, 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 we were doing it individually, and, and, and I just saw there was tremendous impact last spring. We began to see people like spending time with one another that didn't know each other, uh, uh, making more efforts. Some of the life groups started getting together and doing meals together just to get to know people across life groups. And, um, and uh, we even tackled like one, a huge project, um, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit, but... Um, all these good things were happening and continued to go on throughout the year. I've, I've heard just kind of that spirit of things like, this was really good that we're actually getting to know people in the body and love one another. And, and I just want to continue to like it really encourage that. It's not the theme this year, but it's still really important. Now, uh, just for a little footnote here, our 40-day spiritual adventure that we do every year starts February 14th, Valentine's Day. You can make God your, Jesus your Valentine. Okay, no, um, it's because it's Ash Wednesday and, and, and the church calendar doesn't care about your social calendar. But any, you know, the, the, the whole thing is this. Our theme this year is all about the Holy Spirit and just being um, you know, immersed in the presence of God and, and getting to know His voice. And so uh, anyhow, um, that's coming up. You can sign up for it. I think it was, there was a, yeah, there we go. It's like magic, the way it appears. Anyhow, um, good technology. So in the spring, you know, in the midst of God like speaking about this being a rebuilding year and all that kind of stuff, um, uh, we're doing the, you know, the bike trails happening out there. And um, I just felt like the Lord said to me in the midst of that, you know, like this has been this long journey and now I want to like sew up some loose ends. And so I just felt like the Lord challenged us to first expand and remodel the kids' church area, which we did. We, like, it's tripled in size, and so we have nice, big, beautiful kids' area. Um, and then uh, we started remodeling this room. And so uh, there used to be three rooms. You can see the outline on the floor. There were three rooms there, and there was a room right over there. That's the blue patch on the wall versus the brown patches. And then there was three rooms over there and that sound booth was in the middle of the room and we just started like and then we started fixing the drywall along the top and 
my understanding is we're going to start painting in here uh, in the next, uh, in, in about a week or, or so, and then we're going to rework the stage so that it's not, have you noticed that? Like, there's some of you are OCD and you know this, the stage isn't square to the room. Some of you, it drives you nuts. Like, there are literally people who don't attend here right now because they're like, I can't, that just... Be healed in the name of Jesus. I, no, it's, it's coming. We are reworking the stage. But listen, that, that was a lot of fun. We were tearing those rooms down. People were hanging out, talking to one another, slamming their thumbs together, you know, calling on the name of Jesus together when they hit their thumbs. But, you know, it was, it was good. And, and so, uh, uh, but, you know, here's the thing. So I, I felt like called to do that, and I wrestled with it for a weekend. And then finally I brought it to the staff, and I said, what do you guys think? And they went, oh, yeah, we think that's God. And I was like, really? Because, like, I thought I would bring it to you and you would talk me out of it, you know? And, and like, you know, you're just clearly delusional or whatever. And, um, and so then we brought it to the church leaders, to our, our leadership community, and they said, yes, we think it's God. And so then we brought it to the congregation, and literally, like, like in 10 days, we started doing it. We just went crazy and did it. And so uh, it, it was really, really cool. And that gave people a lot of chance to spend time with one another. Now, I, I still have to say this. The vast majority of the remodel has actually been in the hands of Jen Lepidaroff, who was playing the keyboards earlier, and Bobby, who was over here playing you know, drums. So you know, she's the office manager. Uh, Bobby Hardwick is our associate pastor. Uh, and they're both right now doing student ministry. But... Can I ask you to do me a favor? Would you stop them after worship and tell them how much your sacrifice means? Because they've been doing a lot of work, you know, and, and been injured and, and everything else and just keep pushing ahead. And so um, uh, other people have helped too, but like they really have carried the lion's share. And so uh, love up on them a little bit. Maybe even love up on their family, buy them lunch or something. I, just a thought. So... Um, but here's the thing, we're going to start painting, we're going to fix the stage, hopefully it'll all be done by Easter, and supposedly all of that out there is going to be done by Easter, and that would be really nice. I'd rather them not block us on, you know, like last year they did on, on, on Palm Sunday, they blocked us from our parking lot, and then they did it again right around Christmas, and I was like ready to hurt someone. But, but here's the thing. We've done all of this without going into debt. And let me give you a little perspective on that. When the state came to evaluate the bike trail and they did an appraisal of our entire property and it's valued at well over $3 million. We've got five acres in the middle of town. We have the largest parking lot in downtown. We have four nice buildings right on the main thoroughfare. And, uh, and so we bought this property not even 10 years ago. We're, we're coming up on the 10th anniversary. We bought it in August of 2014. We moved in, again, without going into debt. We just renovated as much as we could and moved in like a month later. So September will be 10 years that we've been in the building. During that time, we've been faithfully you know, paying off the property and not going into more debt. We actually have it as part of our charter. Only mortgage. If we do nothing 
but make our payments, we will have the entire loan paid off before the end of 2025. So I just want to put a bug in your ear. September's our 10th anniversary of being in the building. I think it would be fun to have a mortgage burning party. Now having said that, board members, I promise I'm going to fill this part in too. Offerings have been a little down since we started the new year, so please, like, you know, the financial team is a little worried that when I say that, that you're going to start doing that instead of tithing, and that won't help. That will, you know, we still got to do ministry, right? So, um, so after we do ministry and, and, you know, and pay the bills we have to pay, if you feel led to help us get that paid off so that we can focus more on ministry, then let me invite you to pray about that and then you could like add that to, you know, like on occasion or on a regular basis, whatever works for you or a one-time gift, whatever. And you'd like to see us get debt-free by, you know, September. Um, you could give a little extra. That'd be great. That'd be great. If you don't have it, no pressure. Seriously, I, have you ever been here and heard me twist your arm or pressure you? We have little boxes. We have online. We don't even take an offering during the service please don't accuse me of twisting anyone's arm, okay? Uh, all right, just like as the Lord leads you, that'd be great. And, uh, and let's do this without a disaster. So, um, okay, last things. Today, right after service, we have five-step prayer model. That's where we literally just teach you how to pray with other people, listen to the Holy Spirit, and, and just trust God. It's easy, it's great. I'd like everyone to get that training. Honestly, it is a core value of being uh, a part of Vine Life is that everyone here would know how to pray with other people. And so if, you don't, if you've never done the five-step prayer model, I want to encourage you, if you can't sign up for this one, you know, like Kathy's probably like panicking right now, like, like 100 people are going to show up. But, but, you know, but listen, we offer it multiple times throughout the year. And if you've been here for any amount of time and you haven't done it, I want to ask you, why not? I don't mean that heavy-handed. I mean, if this is your church home and that's what we value, like, why not? Why not learn to pray with your friends and neighbors? It's easy. No, you don't have to join the prayer team. No, you don't have to go into leadership. You might want to. Awesome. But I'd like everybody to get five-step prayer training. Second one, everyone at Vine Life to be able to disciple another person. You could do that by, you know, we had training this weekend. We had the loving people to Jesus, the Discovery Bible studies. Uh, you know, we are continuing to offer Start Here on a regular basis. And so we got a couple of venues where you can learn some skills and learn how to share your faith with people around you that isn't difficult, that is about loving people, and it isn't about memorizing a whole bunch of formulas or, or having, you know, all this wealth of, you know, giant information. and everything. It's, it's, it's all about just breaking bread with people, doing life with people. It's very repeatable and you don't have to be a superstar to do it. Love for you, please. Make some time this year to get some kind of training to do that. Third thing, Wednesday nights, I'm offering a class, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. 
Again, it's one of the things I, we offer on a regular basis. This one's already started, and unless you got the book, you know, it'd be kind of hard getting started, you know, week two. I mean, you could do week two, just jump in. Um, but here's the thing is that sometime in the future, I would like to encourage you to take our class, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Like, I don't know about you, but the thought is, I'm staking my entire eternity on what it says in a book that oftentimes you start off January and you say, well, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And you get about Leviticus and you quit. <laughs> and I'd like, you to, I'd like to help you not do that anymore. So I'm inviting you. Yes, it's a little work. I, it, it really is. Um, but everything in life that's worth something is a little work. All right. So, um, those of you who did the Loving People to Jesus, we got the online component coming up. If you didn't do the Loving People to Jesus, you can still be part of the online component. I'll share more with that with the church in the coming weeks. So, so run it over. Learn the five-step model. Do a start here sometime. Do a learn to read the Bible here sometime. Learn how to do a discovery Bible study method. Help us get out of debt. We can do this. It's not complicated. It's not unattainable. It's not gigantic. These are really simple things. And just over the course of the year, I'd like us to make some significant steps toward that. And I'm asking you to commit to doing that. Like that you would say in your heart of hearts, okay, I may not be able to do all five. Some of you could do all five. But the vast majority of people here can do two or three of those things and help move the ball forward toward, and, and you could say, yes, that's part of our vision of this as a church to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to invest myself uh, what I can. I, I don't want to beat anybody up. I don't want to pressure you. You know, I, I've, I've heard too many stories about people joining a church and then they're out so busy doing church, they can't actually spend any time with their neighbors, their friends, and their family. That would be defeat. So if you can do one thing, do one thing. You can do two of them, do two. But let me ask you to like, get on board with engaging in the process and actually making it come to fruition. I can't do it by myself. The staff can't do it by itself. Like, if you don't engage, it doesn't happen. So, five-step prayer class is one day, right? It's one, one afternoon. Start here, okay, 12 weeks. But it's not 12 months. So, <laughs> course on learning how to read, eight weeks. So, you actually only have seven left. See? So, so we'll do start here right after Easter. We're going to do it again in the fall. Please make room for one of them. And then if you did the training this weekend, please do the online thing. If you didn't, please consider doing the online thing anyhow and try to just do one study with one person this year. It's, it's really, that's, that's, can you imagine, what if, what if the 200 plus people that are in this room right now, what if everybody did one Bible study with somebody this year to introduce them to Jesus. If we just did one. I didn't say you even converted one. I just said if you would this year 
Possibly do something you've never done before. Do a Bible study with one person about leading them to Jesus and then let them decide what they want to do a second one. You do it on their turf, on their terms, and you just let them tell you whether they want to have another one. And if they do, you're stuck. But I know. Um, but if they do, you didn't twist anyone's arm, did you? Would you ask one person? Say, our pastor's asked us to do this one time. Would you help me out? Would you do me a favor? I'll go wherever you want, whenever you want, one time. And at the end, they can tell you whether they want to have a second one. Fair enough? All right. Don't want to drive you by guilt. Don't want to overload your schedule. Do want to ask you to make some priorities and make room to fulfill those things. All right. Let's stand together. Well, it wasn't, you know, where I spent, uh, you know, 25 verses talking about all the things that Jesus said and did um, and then, you know, tried to get you to do the same. Sorry about that. But sometimes I think it's important for us to think about, but how are we going to do those things, right? Like if we always leave it down to theory, uh, you know, then, then uh, you can spend the rest of your life kind of feeling guilty about how I didn't lead somebody to Jesus. Uh, if it's always down to theory, uh, we could talk about all the ways and we could ruminate on uh, our failures to be like Jesus, to speak the words of Jesus, to be gentle, to be kind, to be filled with hope, to be filled with faith. We could look at the, at the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, and we could say, uh, how do I ever get there? And we just kind of ruminate at it about as a group, and then we quietly go get in our cars and we continue our lives in kind of a sense of quiet desperation, wondering when we're going to change, wondering when we're going to make steps forward. And I'm, I'm asking today that you would join us in, the, in a process of moving the ball forward slowly, intentionally, becoming the kind of people who actually do love God, love people, and pass it on with everyone around us till He returns. It's a long road. But I'm asking you to, not just to do an event, I'm asking you to adopt a lifestyle. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray this morning as we are gathered here as a people, and we would, we would say with one heart, with a single confession, that we want to be like Jesus, that that's why we're here, that's why we've gathered together, that's why we've worshipped, and we admit that for many of us, that there's this, this sense of like we're we're longing for this, but we really have no concrete steps to getting there. Many of us in the room feel defeated. Many of us are longing for a sense of joy that transcends our circumstances and wondering how we get it. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would begin to touch hearts, lives, minds in this room 
and that you would hand out invitations to one or several of these things. There's some of you right now that the Lord's just putting in your heart to be a part of Start Here. There's some of you that the Lord's putting in your heart to go to uh, learning how to read the Bible. Some of you, it's to go to the five-step prayer model. Some of you, to go to more than one of these things. But, but I, I just believe the Lord's handing out invitations right now. And I just, I'm asking, would you do this, just this kind of in prophetic action, would you just put your hands out and just receive the invitation the Lord has to give you right now? Just fill hands with gifts, with invitations. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, would you, that as our minds race through all the things that are in the way, all the obstacles, would you just bring peace to the hearts of those that you've invited? Just Holy Spirit, more of you, more of your presence. And I want to speak to that other thing that I mentioned earlier. There's some of you that... God has been uh, putting things on your heart about some things that he's bringing to fruition and they haven't come to pass and you're in a sense of longing and wondering. And so I just want to remind you and invite you. We're going to have prayer team come up and uh, if that's you this morning, like if, the, if you've been like feeling forgotten by the Lord, I just want to encourage you to come get some prayer this morning and uh, allow the Lord to work those things, to bring those things to fruition in your life. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for our time together this morning. We just lift all these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, prayer team, go ahead and come on up. And if you need prayer, come get some prayer or pray with the person next to you. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. God bless. Good to see you this morning. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way, the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.